You want to be hardcore, you want to be extreme. Well, if you're like the Sandman, then you're listening to the podcast Drunk Wrestling History, dudes. And please be drunk when you hear it. It's a drunk podcast. I can rim like a motherfucker. You already saw my Sullivan in San Diego. He got a golden shower. Bundy just fucking cream pied Albano. I've been drunk. I've never been cum drunk. Woo! What's up, drunk marks and drunk marquettes? Welcome to Drunk Wrestling History. I'm your designated host, Adam, and they are the Drunk Wrestling Historians. This is Eddie. Let us drink till thine asses are drunk. And this is Scott. Win if you can, lose if you must, but always drink. Thank you all very much for joining us. We have a fun episode planned for all of you. And as per usual, make sure that you head over to whatamaneuver.net. Get those Drunk Wrestling History t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, and onesies for the miniature Drunk Marks and Drunk Marquettes. Want them looking like Drunk Wrestling Historians with the logo on their chest. Uh, just uh, make sure uh, you head over there for the full variety of uh, soft material clothing for on-demand printing. Whatamaneuver.net. Buy a fucking shirt. Buy a fucking per, shirt. Per use, Adam, you're like the dude, you're like the guy who just bought a boat. Totes. From Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I wish I could be him. <laughs> like, I, could, I could see him like, whoa. With the Conan O'Brien hair and the and the white uh, white sporty jacket, who is it, <laughs> Mike? No, I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, he's gone. I think, uh, I think last Alex, was Alex last Moffitt. Ma- that's Alex the guy. Moffitt. Yeah, right. Yeah. The guy who just bought a boat. <laughs> as right, he says all this fast shit. And he you. goes, "My dick is small." Yeah, <laughs> but I just bought a boat. I got. Who wasn't measuring from his butthole? See. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah exactly that's no one's dick is small if they measure from their butthole <laughs> and we're here to give tips in life right <laughs> right Make if you, you have a penis come talk to us <laughs> you can learn about that measuring technique in uh the episode from two weeks ago i know someone who never mind i don't want to never mind why do you start these things i know because i you know, you know Alex Moffat? <laughs> no, I don't know Alex Moffat. I, I don't know. Forget it, forget it, forget it. But we did see uh, Kyle Mooney the micro that penis one time at, uh, uh, at Sketchfest. No, not Sketchfest. Clusterfest. Gutfest. Gutfest, 89. You weren't at Gutfest, Adam. I wasn't at Gutfest. No, you were a tot. I, I know. And that's two episodes in a row I said the word tot. <laughs> I heard they recently decided to add more tots. <laughs> I keep saying that when the Loma Prieta earthquake happened, I shit myself. I don't, I don't even know if that's true. It's just statistically it happened. It's a safe guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, full disclosure, you guys, I'm already drunk because we, we did like an hour and a half episode earlier and I drank a lot during it. And it's Wednesday. And it was 10%. <laughs> well, it was a 10% beer. It was some whiskey. It was some other whiskey. It was some coconut liquor. More whiskey. It was a good time. And now I'm drinking more beer. So forgive me if this goes astray. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, it will. For this week's episode, we haven't done a... 
Is this a Rushmore episode? The yeah, it's same. not Rushmore. All right. We haven't done uh, one of these in a while, so uh, glad to get get this uh, back into the rotation. Hope we manage to entertain you all with our Mount Rushmore's of top managers. Well done, Adam. I don't know. It, it usually kind of loses luster if you use the pun as the thing. No, no I, I thought it was slick. I missed something. No, you didn't. <laughs> all right. It's all we'll good. just keep going. It's okay. Yeah. So we've each uh, compiled our uh, Rushmore uh, list of uh, our top managers, and we'll, we'll cover why we think uh, they deserve to be in that spot. Who wants to go first? Adam, can you go first? Because since we came up with this idea like two weeks ago, I've been interested to see what you come up with. Because every time we do one of these list type <laughs> episodes, you come up with some off the wall shit that I forgot about or maybe didn't know about or just never would have considered. So I'm most interested to hear your list. So I and the, I would like to request you go first. So we get that, out of, get that out of the way and then the true education from... <laughs> Uh, will follow from that. I mean, from I wouldn't say that. You know your shit. You oh, just, yeah. You know what I mean? You just, okay. you're a different era, you know? Yeah, that's true. Okay. Let's, let's see what I came up with. And I guess, yeah, you say, uh, or yeah, I did come from oh, wait, a... You, you, finished, you finished the wings, right? From two weeks ago? Oh, yeah, I, I did. Okay. All right. It, it, it's only until now I digested them, but you know. <laughs> 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 the power of media and media <laughs> editing. All right. Yeah, I'm. What a dumb joke. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say like one's a hierarchy over the other, but I'm probably gonna go in the order of like uh, reasonable to maybe the least expected to your guys' reasonable standards. to questionable. Yeah, there you go. Ten percent beer in your. You have better vocabulary than me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. I'll he s- is a historian, so. Uh, I will. Oh, s- you could. You should see my vocabulary when I'm not drinking. I have the best words. <laughs> and I know words. Sad. I have the best words. Uh, Go ahead. I, Go thief. Okay. For mine, there are some very notable names that I feel like I'm intentionally going to omit because I personally did not grow up with them uh so if i at least crossed paths with them in my uh in my fandom and this uh person was a manager then i will count it and i think uh that's how i start with this first one paul bearer okay because that's uh, not a bad pick at all yeah i don't Uh, even think of him (laughs) to tell you the truth no it's not a bad pick at all yeah uh the part where uh, he crossed paths with me is when after uh, after Undertaker uh, dropped the American Badass uh, gimmick and he returned to the Dead Man. Uh, Bear uh, has the urn, welcomes him back uh, to WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden, and then uh, he also had that uh, storyline where or that one match I forget what pay per view it was where he was uh, locked up in a glass case being filled with cement and then at that was the Dudley's a uh, du- Dudley's match right uh, it could have been I I just legitimately forget who he was facing but that was the circumstance of that match 
And then even after Undertaker uh, gets the dub, he still uh, decides, like, I don't need you anymore. Covers Paul Bear in cement. Which, what a cool trick, too, because you watch that from every angle. It's like a David Copperfield type thing, right? Like, they I'm, showed it from multiple angles, and when you watch it, you're like, they're bearing it, Paul Bear in cement. Like, I don't know how he's going to live through this. <laughs> They might have cons- they might have uh, brought David David Copperfield in as a consultant. as a consultant. There you go. Yeah, it I mean it was really cool. It, it was really cool. It it's like you couldn't even. Yeah, I, I'd say you couldn't even fathom that Undertaker would do something like this to Paul Bear. Yet any just any wrestler doing something of this nature to Paul Bearer. Then again, we have seen uh, Austin drop uh, Triple H 20 feet in the air, uh, uh, upside down in a car, but submerging someone in cement? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, Well, I think you and I are talking about two different things, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, But because I did cross paths with him in in this case, and... uh, I feel like it's right to bring up uh, his history uh, through all the pay-per-views that you've had me watch through education of this lovely podcast. He he's a bizarre guy. He knows how he knows when to properly control the Undertaker at some point and maybe direct orders with uh, controlling the urn. Uh, but to also see him uh, large and in charge with with Kane and with Vader. I think he's a fantastic manager. Mankind uh, produ- too. And man- Mankind too, yeah. Mankind? Okay. Yeah, producing all all these all yeah, all these uh, heavyweights uh they yeah, Undertaker and Kane would be champions under him. Was Kane champion under under his direction at yes. least or was that Yeah, just he would have been. Yeah, because yeah, that would have been um that would have been Spring or summer '98, correct. When summer. he won, it. he only had it for a day, right? He won. Yeah. He won it Sunday, lost it on Monday. Yeah, yeah. All right, but that was with Paul. Yeah, for sure. All right. Yeah, uh, I mean, if he's able to steer his wrestler in that direction, that's definitely a win. Uh, Drunk fact: He loved Chinese food, or whatever the people of Pittsburgh thought was Chinese food in the '90s. Hmm. I learned that from the Undertaker uh, table table for three. He told a story about him and Paul going to a Chinese restaurant in Pittsburgh, and Carissa's whole family is from Pittsburgh, and she's told me a million times how back then you could not get anywhere even close to decent Chinese food in Pittsburgh. Oh, but Barra loved it. Paul Barra loved it, whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> oh yeah. my, this is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first time I had she, good, she wants to weigh in. She wants to weigh in. The first time I had good Chinese food in Pittsburgh... Um, we finally were like, this place is amazing. And we ended up meeting the owner and he was from San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's actually a good Chinese connection there. Yes, <laughs> it is. Think about it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And to our fans in Pittsburgh, thanks for trying with the Chinese food. I mean, but you guys have Permati Brothers. This was a long time ago. So now they have good Chinese food. Right. But it was definitely, it was like late 90s, early 2000s. So Dang, yeah. even that long shit. <laughs> but dude, for yeah. the record, if you live in Pittsburgh... What the fuck are you going for Chinese food for when you have Pamanti Brothers? Right, right. Get the no, fuck you out should of be, here. You should be eating fries. <laughs> yes. Which apparently they even put on salad there. Oh, well, they put it on their sandwiches, so. 
Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I will be at Permani Brothers in October. Lucky. Jinx at least once. Season. Can't fuck it. Can't wait. I, lo- <laughs> I love Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's, Pittsburgh's a great town. I like their uh, Pittsburgh platter. <laughs> that is their best food. Yeah. I bet Scott pays good money for that. <laughs> I don't know what the going rate is, but <laughs> not as not as much as Vince pays for it. <laughs> Ruthless aggression. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Next, next on my Rushmore, because how could you not? Don't let him run a wrestling company, but he's an effective manager. Paul Heyman. Okay, he's on mine also, Adam. Yeah. Okay, Uh, I was wondering if he was going to show up on any, because I was really on the fence about him, and I won't say whether he's on mine or not yet. But, um, Well, but if he is, you should tell us now, because we'll have our first straight line across all Mount Rushmore's. Okay, he's not on my list. Okay. Okay. Even though he had the credentials for it, he just didn't quite make the cut for okay. me. Okay. And again, it's all subjective. There's no right or wrong answers. It's whatever you well, think. It's just there that you're not wrong. a Hanukkah guy. I mean, there could be some wrong I'm answers. Just <laughs> you're not a Hanukkah <laughs> <laughs> guy. I said it earlier. If Nidia shows up on somebody's list, I'm leaving the show. I guess I'm closing this episode out with the Hanukkah song. <laughs> <laughs> the Adam Sandler one? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Perfect. No, the other Hanukkah song. Jesus. Yeah, no, the fucking Zach Wild Hanukkah song. <laughs> the Rammstein Hanukkah song. <laughs> Shit. Uh, let's let's see. Yeah, plays the role of dis like Okay, he shows up uh with Lesnar as like a disgusting a disgusting guy. I still say he's uh yeah, st- still has that disgusting characteristic or charisma about him. Uh, kind of from, a slime ball. And, and a slime ball from, uh, uh, from the invasion angle. Uh, that smile is, like, if he smiles, a fairy dies. He did that <laughs> a lot. Uh, like, with, the, with his, uh, yeah, just his long trench coat and... Uh, baseball cap. Uh, it was just a a very weird style for being a businessman, but it worked for him. So cool. Able to produce uh, heavyweight champions uh, out of uh, his wrestlers. He, I forget how much of a factor he played into it of putting uh, Brock in the right places. I also want to preface: uh, still, fuck Brock. But still, he put Brock in all the right places to literally get him to, like, within the first four months, within the first four months or so of uh, his WWE tenure, King of the Ring and knocks off The Rock for a WWE championship. Yeah. I mean, The Rock came in like a ball of fire like no one else ever has, probably. I mean, Brock, not The Rock. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was shot out of the cannon. And started fucking everyone. He fucked up Hogan right away. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. And this was under um, the tutelage of Paul Heyman. Would have fucked up Austin, too, if he hadn't run away. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Austin had to quit to get away from him. <laughs> yeah, that's how he escaped the beast. <laughs> he just had to get away from that Paul Heyman smile. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Also uh, managed 
Big Show and CM Punk. Uh, I don't think I don't think uh, Show was a World Heavyweight Champion under him, but Punk was he definitely. Was. Oh, he was okay. So yeah. there's that. He actually and- turned on Brock Lesnar to get the title on Big Show, and then turned on Big Show to get the title on Angle. He managed Angle too. For Correct. A bit, he had right? back to yeah. back to back champions. He went from Brock to Big Show to Angle. That's right. Yeah. Fucking yep. a skills. So yeah, he's on my list too, dude. And it's he's because... a regular Don King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. He he knew so, who to saddle up with. So too. yeah. So maybe it's not necessarily <laughs> like uh, he's just always uh, find <laughs> like finding the best wrestlers. He's he's kind of in it for himself. Right. In, in a way. Right. Through the shadow of consecutive WWE champions. Yeah, and, and, uh, and as a manager, yeah. what a mouthpiece, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he could talk up his protege because it's always been my opinion that that's the best sign of a manager is you put the heat on your guy, right? You take the heat on yourself and you're transferring it to your guy. And I think that's what he did really well with Brock. Brock needed a mouthpiece when he first came in. Paul Heyman was the perfect guy to pair up with him. He did That's a perfect true. job of that. And he also did that when he was the Dangerous Alliance in WCW. So I'm going way back before the Brock Lesnar run. He was great in WCW, had the Dangerous Alliance. <clears throat> he had tag team champions, television champions, went on to form ECW. He had champions there under his tutelage. And at all of the while, great mouthpiece. Took heat upon himself to transfer it to the guy that he was managing. Which, in turn, would transfer to make the baby face even better. So, Paul Heyman, I completely agree with you, Adam. He's on my Mount Rushmore as well, mm-hmm. for all those reasons. Yeah. And, the- and he didn't make my list, but I think he's at least in the conversation. And you guys left two, two things out, um, or a couple things out. But I think he's at least, because he was really, he was the last guy eliminated for mine. Um, just by, Brock Lesnar's a piece of fucking wood, as a, he was back then. Back you know, 20 then, years yes. ago when he first showed up. Yeah. Right? He was a piece of wood as far as, like, charisma goes. Brock Lesnar got him over made him one of the biggest... Or, I mean, Paul Heyman got him over and made him one of the biggest stars in the company without him being able to say a fucking word. Right. That's a hard thing to do, and Paul Heyman did it perfectly. So, like, that... Just that... Just that first year of Brock's career, I think, would put him in the conversation. Um, I think you guys left out because I, I, I looked into a lot of it. Um... He managed the two longest reigning champions since Hogan, CM Punk and Roman now Reigns. Roman, yeah. Damn. Right? He's no, still going, too. Ne- yeah, let's point that right, out. He's still going, and neither even mentioned Roman and the run well, he's had with him. Well, just haven't gotten to him yet, but yeah. Hmm. And he managed Brock when he broke the streak. So, I mean, he's got credentials, too, as far as numbers go. Numbers and yes. just high profile or putting them in the position of high profile victories. I think, yeah, that was also the case. Like... Uh, to set him up for Undertaker, he was calling out, "Hey, get give a give Brock a WrestleMania opponent," and mm-hmm. Undertaker took the bait. How manipulative is that shit? He fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And let's not forget what he did for Jack Swagger's career. <laughs> Can we? And Cesaro too. <laughs> and Cesaro. <laughs> yeah. Curtis Axel. Oh, I forgot about that. And you know what? That was actually why, that was why Brock, or that's why Heyman didn't quite make my list is because his success with, was with just a few guys. You know, it was very small. I felt his body of work was small. 
Okay, so to your point about his body of work being small, I actually found an interesting website, and we can get to this once we're all done with the Mount Rushmores, each of us. There's actually a website that quantified the top 10 managers of all time based on strictly title wins. Okay. So once we're done, I'll start running through the top 10 that this website, I'll go through how they, they put point values to titles, and then we'll okay. go through the top 10. Okay, I bet I know who's number one, and I bet he's on my list. Okay, right. well, we'll find out. Thank you. In closing, uh, or at least for my sake, uh, I don't know, uh, Scott, how much uh, you want to jump in on this as well. Like, just with him, with Roman Reigns right now, I guess, like, in his whole past of being the mouthpiece for Brock Lesnar, I it's like I'm to a point where I can forgive him because as much as a, I think Brock was the stronger wrestler uh that he's covering Roman is uh the bigger star that he's managing and yes. he is complimenting or they are both complimenting each other so much it's not one-sided of Paul Heyman doing the talking Ro- like Roman is talking shit because Paul Heyman is setting him up for that. And right. Paul Heyman can talk uh, shit about everybody because Roman is acknowledging that Paul has the credentials and the power to do that. Yeah. And yeah. he was an easy choice on my list mm-hmm. because he's still going. I don't know where he's going to end up, but in my mind, he's already there. He's going. But the fact that he's still going is that that's makes him an easy addition to my Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. He, and he's a no-brainer Hall of Famer. Oh, for oh, sure. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love him uh, also wearing uh, the red puka shells suit. He's like, Roman is definitely welcomed into the, him into the family. Exactly. Right. He's the wise man. All right. He is a very wise man. All right. Number three on my list, the manager and stylist of Billy and Chuck it is Rico. <laughs> Wait, are you fucking kidding? Or are you serious? You're fucking with us, right? Adam's fucking with us. No, go ahead. I'm not kidding. Oh, you're serious. Rico is on a Mount Rushmore of managers of all time. He's on a Mount Rushmore of anything. He's on a personal Mount Rushmore. Not the actual one, because (laughs) I am sure that any other person that chisels this... uh, uh, out. Uh, uh, I can't wait to see your, who your it's fourth your one list, is. dude. You do you. Yeah, I can't wait to see who your fourth name is, but I can't wait to hear your explanation of how he makes it on there. Okay, leopard pants, mutton chops for days, <laughs> nice and clean, <laughs> and his name is yeah. Rico. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> You're making me feel bad. <laughs> All right. No, I, I, I can't bad. wait to hear your reasoning. How memorable was Billy and Chuck? I think uh, a definite part of like their heel run, and he was able to put them in the position uh, so that they became uh, tag team champions and were with a successful defense at WrestleMania. Uh, like he was, I'd say. Like Paul Bearer, he was a manager that had a physical a physical gimmick about him, and uh, he definitely portrayed that. Like, uh, 
he's being their stylist. But the way that he came off, uh, like walking around proud and like so authoritative and confident, it feels like he he chiseled out and molded Billy and Chuck out of imported marble. And he is so proud of the tag team that he created. And I well, thought it, it been was important. funny it as fuck. It would have been important marble from Italy, given that he was Rico Constantino. <laughs> oh, yeah. There yes. you go. Yeah. You're uh, really not fucking with us. I'm really not. Oh, He's be- doing a good job, Scott. I, Leave him alone. Because, okay. Let him go. I can't Let wait to hear the fourth name. Yeah. Like, yeah, Eddie made fun of me early in the episode, and it's balanced. No, okay. no, no. I'm right. not making fun at all. Like, I just okay. am blown away that Rico made okay. any... I had forgotten about Rico. It's, well, it's because... I, I also feel like How much maybe do you there weren't drink? as many. How do you forget about Rico? Dude, come on. <laughs> come on. He was incredible. I don't know about like many okay. managers during my, or many successful managers uh, during my fandom. So maybe I felt like my list was a bit limited while uh, like the previous 25 years uh, before I started watching, I'm sure had plenty of managers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you convinced me, Adam. I'm striking Bobby Heenan from my list. <laughs> well, Dude. you didn't do his fourth name yet. <laughs> he didn't do right. his fourth name yet. That's no, a- I told you Adam's list was going to be cool. <laughs> Dude, he was on the right path too, man. And you're like, you called it. <laughs> that was a like, curveball I did not see coming. <laughs> I he love chiseled it. them into like, yeah, the red trunks, bathrobes. And uh, uh, their their headbands, their bleached hair. It also seemed like he was able to convince Billy and Chuck. Like, they had a physical manner about him, about uh, both of them. Like, they weren't walking out there like, I'm ready to fuck a body up. They're like, man, I get to wrestle today because I'm beautiful. (laughs) I'm so gorgeous with my bathrobe and my best buddy. (laughs) And we're tag champs. How awesome is this? It, it's so convincing that like Rico really molded them into that shape. I mean, I've made it very clear many yeah. times. That's my favorite tag team of the era. Mm-hmm. And one of your favorite theme songs. My fa- the, the greatest theme song. All right. <laughs> Last name on my uh, Mount, on my manager's Mount Rushmore. All right. Oh, yeah. Let, let's see if I can say it. His name is Armando Alejandro Estrada. Woo! I was able to roll those L's. Only one wrestler managed, but I thought he exempted, like, he exempted confidence and uh, coolness about him in his, uh, in his uh, suit and hat, uh, he he was cool. That's true. Yeah, he wasted cigars. Definitely wasted cigars. He had like at all times he had three of them. Never never smoked them. They were always uh, thrown at someone. Uh, I think biggest match of Umaga's. I'd say, I would probably say uh, biggest uh, stakes match or. Sorry, second uh, biggest stakes uh, match. There's a very obvious answer to this. Well, uh, I was going to say, well, yeah, there's the WrestleMania match. 
Okay, I, I was yes. like, you're going to be either right or wrong about this because there's one match of Umaga's that was the match. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say. But it was not his best match. Like, uh, he. No. When he had his uh, WWE championship match against uh, John Cena at the Royal Thank Rumble. You. Yes. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, he also had uh, the WrestleMania match uh, against Lashley. That was he, his biggest, yeah. I think uh, his. Pro- Umanga. Umanga. I. No, you have instructed me not to say that. <laughs> Apparently, it's offensive. Which is really? why it's not said. So. Yeah, um, Leonard, our Samoan friend, says that. He was like, dude, don't say that. He was drunk, but he was like, don't fucking say Umanga. I was like, why? That's the way William Regal Yeah, I was going to say, Umaga. Regal like, pronounced it like that, yeah. Yeah, he was like, D- yeah. don't fucking say it, dude. I, I was know, like, okay, I know, fuck. I know, why? You know, all right, I don't want well, to. Look at Regal on TV every week, pissing people off. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, you should have come to the Cow Palace. It would have been like Peter Maivia back in the <laughs> but, day. But thank goodness William Regal was able to change his pronunciation when we did the roast. Yes. Yes. That was very <laughs> polite of him to do so. Yeah, very very English of him. So. Well, he talks to Leonard before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, unwa- he unwound uh, the top rope so that uh, Umaga could use it as a weapon in a last man standing match for the WWE title use that uh, to like for more leverage or a more vicious Samoan spike on Cena instead it uh, it backfired Cena choked him out uh, using the rope for the for an STFU uh, but I've and then uh, management wise he only dropped being a manager because of uh the wellness policy suspension. And then uh, after that, he became a singles wrestler, but still I would say like how dominant of a wrestler he was able to have. And he was able to put him in so many high stakes matchups. Uh, I think he like for the minimal amount of register of managers that I feel like I was uh, presented to, I would happily include him. He was a good mouthpiece. He could definitely talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right, very, that's, that's quite the list. That's exactly what I was expecting. <laughs> Some crazy shit from Adam. Glad you were entertained. <laughs> yep. He was like Paul Bearer, Paul Heyman, and I'm like, dude, Adam's list is fucking strong. Rico. <laughs> but look, it does speak Well, I love the comedic to- shtick about him as well. Yeah, I love Rico too. But then it speaks volumes about the era that Adam grew up in wrestling in, right? Right. And the emphasis that was or was not put on managers. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, during that uh, commitment ceremony, he had a personal microphone on him. So like uh, when he, I think when he was entering, he was everyone could hear his personal commentary on the flower arrangements. Like, oh, you pick these. <laughs> oh, geez. Right. Yeah. These, uh, this carpet wasn't uh, wasn't uh, draped. So he could be a heel on so many other things aside from uh, putting the spotlight on Billy and Chuck. He's just a great stylist character and a manager. Yeah. The best stylist character, some might say. That's true. All right. Adrian Adonis might disagree, but that's okay. <laughs> no, Adrian Adonis was a florist. Oh, right. He was a florist. He had the flower yes. shop. Not yeah. a stylist. He was like, right. hi- he was like Hightower, a florist. <laughs> Thank you. A morbid florist, if you will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll go next since I already knocked one off my list in agreeing with Adam. Okay. 
Eddie, I'm going to go with one next that I know is on your list as well, and I'm sure is no surprise to our longtime listeners that heard the San Diego episode. Yes. Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yep. Do we need to say again, anything more about the man? Again, I don't deny it. He's Well, I do have two pages of notes, so yeah. Oh, you have two pages of notes on Heenan. I might have more than that, actually. To tell you. No, I think I have like four. We did an entire four. episode on yeah. him. I have four and a half pages of notes on Bobby Heenan, but the way they're the way it's formatted, it would probably be about a page and a half. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's our line between our Mount Rushmores is Bobby Heenan. Yeah. The next name on my list isn't necessarily somebody who had a long managerial run, per se, but the run that they had, he had the top faction of all time, in my opinion. And that's J.J. Dillon. Oh, okay. He had the original Four Horsemen, which was only in Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Ric Flair. He then had the next iteration of the Horsemen, which was Oli's. Do you like the out. Horsemen better than the Oddities? Hmm. It's close. Okay. Definitely Oddities over the NWO. Okay. But it's close. I have the Horsemen as my top all of right. all time. Okay. I just I just wanted a clarification. Okay. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Thank you. So then he had Luger in. Then Luger left. Then he got Barry Windham in there. And then the Four Horsemen kind of all fell apart. But from about 84 until around 89, 90, somewhere in there, there was no better faction in wrestling. There was no more decorated faction in wrestling. And I'm talking the Heenan family, the Hart family. Nobody could touch J.J. Dillon and the gold that dripped from his faction, the Four Horsemen. So that is why J.J. Dillon made my list. He was not ultra flashy he wasn't a super great mouthpiece but what he did was manage champions and the first heel turn that i remember i remember the orndorff one but the first one in the nwa that got me was barry windham turning on lex luger jj Dillon orchestrated that it was oh, incredible yeah. when it happened nobody saw it coming so jj Dillon makes my mount rushmore last name on the list excellent pick thank you Last name on the list, and I actually, it was between this guy and another guy, and it was super hard to do. But then I went to that website that I was talking to you about, and I was already leaning towards this guy. OnlyFans? So I went to that afterwards. <laughs> okay. You know, to finish off the night, so to speak. I, right. I just looked up J.J. Dillon. <laughs> so. Does Kelly Madison have an OnlyFans? <laughs> God willing. <laughs> I'll let you know after the show. All right. It was between Jimmy Hart and Jim Cornette. Okay. So I went to the website that I was talking to you about earlier. We'll get into it afterwards. And I was already leaning Jimmy Hart. And when I saw the value that they put on what Jimmy Hart had done, it made my decision easier. Okay. I hate removing Jim Cornette from an all-time great managers list because I love Corny. I love his wrestling mind. I love what he did with the Midnight Express, Smoky Mountain, you name it. Even Yokozuna. with Yokozuna later on. Vader too. Love the new Corny. Midnight Express? Uh, not so much. But Jimmy Hart, it goes without saying how many champions he managed. But then you remember that he partnered up with Hulk Hogan and extended his career, what, to current day? 
Yeah. Like, he's, he's still piggybacking off of Hogan. Right. I think he's Hogan's legit manager. Y- yes. In, like, real life. Like, that is his dude. So, yeah. in addition to all of the champions that he's managed, including Hogan, including the Giant, I've got to give it to Jimmy Hart as my fourth place on my Mount Rushmore. All right. I really thought Corny was going to be your uh, on your list. Almost. So um, Almost. So, okay, spoiler, he's not on my list either. So, uh, Corny haters, you can rest easy knowing that we none of us put Corny on our... Because uh, I know, like, I guarantee, like, half the people who listen to the show can't stand that motherfucker. Oh, sure. Um, and you know what? It's good reason. Like, he's very outspoken. He's an asshole. He is. He tells it like it is, <laughs> but it's how he sees it, right? Not right. everybody agrees with that, of course. So a, you yeah, put, and... And 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 let's not fucking play dumb. I mean, he is working on his podcast. You know what I mean? He's oh, sure. Being yeah. Jim Cornette, the character on his podcast. Sure. Because if you listen to his old episodes, he's not that dude. He didn't act that way. He kind of when he he when the show blew up is when he became Jim Cornette on the show. Yeah, he's leaning into so, it big time. Yeah, so he's working. He's working all of us. Um, but yeah, as far as who he is today, he's a fucking asshole. So I under, I totally understand why people don't like him. When you can't put yourself out there like he does without mm-hmm. getting a shit ton of hate back on you, but then you are going to have your hardcore fans too. Right. I just want to say about him in my uh in my TNA fandom, he was uh one of, like one of the managers or probably a general manager that kept showing up. I still f- like I still felt like, uh, even though I personally don't know him, I could tell that he has a long, decorated history uh, before uh, showing up to TNA, and then uh, it felt like he was like maybe an old school that didn't fit the direction that they were going. So oh, he's very old school, yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's nothing totally. with like there's nothing wrong with being traditional, but. I guess maybe that just wasn't the right setting for him. He just saw like, like, ooh, popular uh, wrestling brand showing up. Let me get my, let me throw my name in there really quick. Like, even as a first-time fan of TNA, I was thinking this guy kind of seems out of place. I'm sure he knows a lot, but I kind of don't want to watch him right now. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, I'll get into my list. Um, I would like to um, put a disclaimer up front on mine. I excluded Slick from my list, and no doubt Slick would have made my top four, you know, my Mount Rushmore, but um, just a few months ago, and you guys can go back and listen to it, we did our Hall of Fame episode, and he was one of my picks for the Hall of Fame, who should go in the Hall of Fame this year. Um, So I feel like I put Slick over enough a few months ago, and I didn't want to be redundant and go into a whole explaining how great Slick is again, because... It's already out there. Well, even though you're so, going to do it on Bobby Heenan, even though we did an entire episode on him? <laughs> well, it's Bobby Heenan. Okay. <laughs> you know, Bobby Heenan is no slick. Also, a lot of people haven't heard that episode. That episode's gone from uh, um, the Apple podcast now. You oh, then even... preach on about Heenan. Let him have it. Yeah. If if you guys want to hear us do the whole episode on Bobby Heenan, you got to look it up on YouTube. Go on our YouTube channel. It's there. It's like episode six or something. But it's gone from, you know, just... Apple or Spotify, whatever the fuck. And it's a good so, episode because Eddie and Scott fill it up. I wasn't in San Diego. It's a good episode because you weren't there? <laughs> because I didn't have time to fill it up, fill time with guessing any details about him. 
<laughs> but and then and then yeah. you drunk fact, and then you've sh- I almost cried during that episode. Same. Yeah, we both got pretty fucked up during that. Oh yeah, we were drunk, um, dude, for sure. But like we love yeah. Heenan so much. He's Yeah. The best oh, so I'm gonna since, go straight- since that so, episode, I've seen like what 10, 20 shows with him. He is fucking fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So I just want to put that out there. That's why Slick's not on my list. He would have made my list, but since I just recently put him over for 20 minutes, I excluded him. So starting off with number one, Bobby Heenan, and I'm naming the mountain Mount Heenan. Agreed. Um, so just based on who he managed, let's start there. So starting in the WWA, um, Indianapolis, working for Dick the Bruiser, he managed Angelo Poffo, Baron Von Rauschke, Chris Markoff, Jimmy Valiant, and Johnny Valiant. In the AWA, he managed Blackjack Lanza, Blackjack Mulligan, Bobby Duncan, Ken Patera, Mr. Saito, Nick Bockwinkle, Ray Stevens, Stan Hansen, Super Destroyer, Mark II. In Georgia, he managed Austin Idol, Blackjack Lanza, Bobby Jaggers, Ernie Ladd, Carl Cox, Mass Superstar, Professor Toro Tanaka, and Ron Bass. And in the WWF, he managed Adrian Adonis, Andre the Giant, The Barbarian, Big John Stun, Stud, the Brain Busters, Buddy Rose, the Brooklyn Brawler, the Colossal Connection, Harley Race, Hercules, the Islanders, Ken Patera, King Kong Bundy, Lex Luger, the Missing Link, Mr. Perfect, Paul Orndorff, the Red Rooster, Ric Flair, Rick Rude, and Sivy Offy. In total, if I counted correctly, he managed 13 Hall of Famers. This is a guy who did not manage Scrubs, besides Sivy Offy. (laughs) You know what I mean? He is the manager of Legends. He managed, in 1975, he managed Mick Bockwinkel to his first championship against Vern, Vern Gagne, which is a huge deal. While he was there, he also managed three tag team champions, um, Lanza and Duncan, Patterson and Stevens, and Bockwinkel and Stevens. Bockwinkel and Stevens were champions for 27 months. He went to the WWF in 84, and right away he manages Big John Studd and feuds with Andre. So right away he gets into a feud with Big the number two star. Right. Andre was like, in 84, you could basically say he and Hogan were one and one A. Correct. You know? Yep. Um, then he got Adonis and Patera and Missing Link. So Vince right away was making good use of him. He's like, oh, okay, put all these fucking guys with him. Yeah. Yeah. Later on in 85. This is the dude. Yeah. Right. Right. This is the guy. Um, later on in 85, he got Bundy and fucked with Andre, Hogan, and Tony Atlas. Again, top stars. You got Andre, you got Hogan, and Tony Atlas, who had recently been tag champ. He was um, part of the main events of WrestleMania two and three, with both of those with guys who needed someone to talk for them. And arguably Bundy had was, the second highest match on the card at WrestleMania one. What was the second highest card on the match of one? That would have been Andre and Stud for the fifteen thousand dollars. That's the right. That's bag. right. Yeah. That was the second. Yeah. Okay. So he was okay. So he was in the semi main event. And the main events of two and three. Right. He was also in the kind of the advertised main event of four because it was like, we're doing a tournament, but there's Hogan versus Andre again. Yep. But let's not forget you know. his weasel suit match. He did the weasel or the suit dog match. catcher match. Um, yeah. So he, he started the weasel suit matches in the AWA and he brought that to the WWF and did those matches with Warrior. Yes. I'm sorry. I got, got that his ass with kicked. the dog catcher match at four. Exactly. At four, he did the. He showed up in a dog suit, a dog catcher suit. Um, he he was a tag team with the Islanders versus um, the Bulldogs and Coco Beware. He showed up in a dog catcher's suit 
Jesse the body said he Jesse the body said he looks like a Chinaman monsoon and monsoon <laughs> said he sure does Jess <laughs> Let's hear it for eight. No fucking idea. Uh. No idea what that means. Um, <laughs> the weasel suit was such a big deal that in my hand I hold a Bobby Heenan figure there it is. in the weasel suit, which is on the desk every time we record. I yep. have Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon every time I can we record. Verify in our trips to the Drunkard Dome, he's always there. Legendary. Yep. They are my muses. <laughs> um he was um in the corner at the main event of the first SummerSlam. With Andre and DiBiase versus the Mega Powers. Yep. Um, at five, he managed Rick Rude when he beat Ultimate Warrior in the funniest way, which resulted in me sending, <laughs> I think, my first ever email yes. to Ultimate Warrior, ridiculing him for losing because Bobby uh, Heenan tripped him and held his feet. And you said, hey, dude, remember when Heenan held your foot down? <laughs> Rick Rude I think that is you. how I started the email. It yeah. was, hey, dude. <laughs> yeah, it was like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I emailed Ultimate Warrior and started it with, hey, dude. <laughs> Remember when? <laughs> that was so That great. was like 96, dude. It was when oh, Ultimate yeah. Warrior started his first stupid website. Yeah, I, di I didn't even have a computer then, so I'm almost positive it was literally the first email I ever sent. <laughs> was to Ultimate Warrior. I'm now remembering uh, that Chris Farley show Ridiculing him for losing. Chris Farley show segment on uh, SNL. Hey, man. You remember oh, when uh, you wrestled that one guy? That was awesome. That's cool. <laughs> um, he uh, won the tag team titles with the Brain Busters and the Colossal Connection. And in uh, no, the one in the box. The, hold on, have a girl to get me a beer. Yeah, the Voodoo, the Voodoo. Thank you. I'll, I'll take one too. Um, <laughs> um, one of his greatest accomplishments was he got. A uh, Brooklyn Brawler versus Red Rooster feud over. He did. Uh, to You're a, a WrestleMania me. match. Two guys what? that nobody gave a fuck about. Yeah. At and suddenly you're five. completely invested because of Bobby Heenan. Even yep. I know both of those. Oh my God. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was Flair's associate. Not They didn't call him his manager, but he was basically his manager. He was supposed to do a year with him on the road. But after a month, he told Vince that he, quote, stuck him with Larry Flint and he couldn't handle it. <laughs> and he had to he had to be separated from Ric Flair. Uh, but he was still his associate when he won the Rumble. So now he's got a, a WWF uh, champion. Yep. Um, the greatest things about him was he knew exactly how to get heat for his guys. He always, when he would do a promo, the focus was always on the heel. Um, he'd do a couple one-liners about himself but right away he'd go into the heel and he would explain exactly why that heel was going to fuck someone up and why he was going to win his match. Um, he picked the spots at ringside. He stayed out of the way and he only got involved when he should. He was exactly the opposite of Bill Alfonso. Right. And he could take a beating like no one else. Oh, dude. You got him getting his ass kicked at uh, two by Hogan, right? Um, the weasel suit matches like you mentioned. Yep. Like he could get his ass kicked um, got bit by a dog at four. Got bit by a dog by a dog at four. Um, he played a great chicken shit heel. Yep. And he could do that flip. Remember, I sent you about a year, year and a half ago, that video of him from Saturday Saturday Night's main event, where he ran across the ring, did a flip over the top rope, landed on his feet, and ran away. Yep. Like that was incredible. No manager has ever been able to do something like that, and that's because he was a great worker. He started as a wrestler was a really, really good wrestler, but was a better manager. And that's why he 
had his greatest success as a manager. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, who could do that? Like, land on their feet and just run away like that? A guy in his mid forties, yeah, who's probably yeah. forty pounds overweight. I was going to say, look that. at him. He doesn't look like he should be able to do that, but he did. Right, right. That's the kind of shit where if you saw Austin Theory do it, you'd be impressed. If I did that shit, dude, I'd break my neck. Yeah. Um, he was a better manager than any of the presidents on Mount Rushmore were presidents. <laughs> Agree 100%. That's why we're calling this Mount Heenan. Mount Heenan. Um, and I, I, um, I have a clip that I want to play of him doing a promo. Okay. This is from, I think, it's February 85. It's him promoting a house show in Oakland. And um, just, I'm going to play about a minute, minute and a half of this. This is fantastic. And this is, the thing about Bobby Heenan that was great was when he was a heel, he would make you laugh, but you would hate him anyway. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he would may maybe make you laugh here and there, but you never liked him. You know, you were like, okay, yeah, fine. He's kind of funny with the wisecracks, but he's a fucking asshole. And Fuck as a kid, guy. you hated his guts. Yeah, as a kid, oh my God, because I was a kid in the 80s, yep. right? So I'm going to play a little bit of this promo. This is fantastic. It's him. It's Mean Gene interviewing him. So to set this up, he comes into the studio um, you know, with the WWF logo behind him, and he's wearing like a leather fedora for some reason and like a bomber jacket with fur on the shoulders. No idea why. <laughs> so here we go. Bobby Heenan, come on in. Hulk Hogan, heavyweight champ. What in the world is this? This is different. What kind of fur is that? What are you trying to imply? It's weasel fur? This happens to be fox. Never mind what I wear. It's none of your business. Nobody out there could even afford what I wear. And I'm going to be spending a lot more money because I'm going to be managing the next heavyweight champion of the world. Oh, yeah. Hulkamania is going right down the Bemis. And I'm going to be the one to pull the handle because Paul Orndorff is going to be the next heavyweight champion of the world. You know, Hulk Hogan thinks he's a big, tough man. All day long, he hangs around with a bunch of muscled heads in the gym. He wears a size medium T-shirt to make him look bigger. He eats a couple of cans of tuna and a half a dozen raw eggs and walks around in front of mirrors all day. <laughs> then he gets into the ring, and he's got a bunch of white sock, eight to five clock punching humanoids out there to cheer him on. Well, it's a little bit different when you get in the ring with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, a man that's an accomplished athlete, a man that's tuned for professional wrestling, and a man that's going to dethrone Hulk Hogan, the heavyweight champion. Well, I could appreciate your optimism, Mr. Heenan. I think that's uh, part of... All right, I'm going to dump out of that right there. But, like, isn't that great? Like, he <laughs> White buries sock the fans. Humanoids. <laughs> he buries He's fans. He buries Hogan. He puts himself great. over for his clothes. He <laughs> the best part is that he explains that he's wearing fox. <laughs> fox, you don't worry about what I wear. He's not wearing mink. <laughs> he's wearing fox. <laughs> and then he explains why Paul Orndorff's going to beat Hogan. Right. Put the heat right back on the heel. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, he is just... That's it. We explained it. Like I said, go back, go on YouTube, listen to our Bobby Heenan episode. He was, no one was ever as good at as many things as he was, you know, or great as many things as he was. He excelled at every part of the wrestling business. He did. Yeah. He's like, in my opinion, he's the greatest performer of all time. I do um, 100%. As good as Michael Jordan is at basketball, he's right. like the greatest athlete ever. Bobby yeah. Heenan is the greatest, if you want to call it, sports entertainer of all time. Right. Way better at his job than I've ever been at my job. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, unfortunately, the greatest fucking rib of all time was him losing his voice before podcast blew up. Oh, dude. Because could you imagine if he did a podcast? It'd be number one. Oh, it'd be incredible. It'd be the greatest thing anyone's ever heard. Like nobody ever should start another wrestling podcast. It right. It should right, just yeah. be Bobby Heenan's. Yeah. Totally. And ours. 
In ours. Yeah. yeah, just you. Yeah. Everyone would have two podcasts in their uh, playlist us yeah. and Bobby Heenan. <laughs> Bobby Heenan. We'd be in good company. Right. Um, okay, my number two. And who did you have? So you alluded earlier to someone who had, like, by numbers, you could say how great they were? You could quantify in, in like, title with basically in gold. Okay, so who do you have at the number one of that list? Oh, are we going to go into that now? Go ahead, because this right. is who I have next. Okay, hold on. Let me uh, lose Pornhub there. Give me one second. Oh, yeah. Yeah, stick it in. Oh, shit. Oops. Uh, Sorry. Oh, it's so dripping. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Fuck, dude. Come on. <laughs> Oh, dude. All right. So, do you want me to? <coughs> excuse me. Do you want me to go God, ten through you're one? Choking on it. Oh, do you you're have ten through one? That that wasn't right. Sorry. You have the top ten uh, gold winners. Uh, yes. So, by, do you want me to go through what they scored? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, like third tier titles being like television, hardcore, European, state specific, like the Heritage States Champion. Um, both single and tag those are worth one point each secondary titles such as ic us king of the ring and regional titles of national promotions single and tag two points each okay world tag team titles three points world heavyweight titles five points so number 10 on this list with a total of 18 points mr fuji okay getting to number nine here by the way this website is whatculture.com number nine okay. is the grand wizard total of 20, Roth. Uh, 24 points number eight sensational who by the way by the way grand wizard is sort of connected to two of my people on my list okay uh, number eight sensational sherry total of 28 okay. points a lot of people forget she managed Doug Rose and um, I'm sorry, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers in the AWA. Right. Number seven, Adam Paul Bear. Total of 26 points. Number six, our buddy Jim Cornette. Total of 31 points. Number five on the list, JJ Dillon. Total of 49 points. Of course, a lot of those came from Ric Flair, who had 30 by himself. Right, right. Number four, Captain Lou. Okay. 66 points. Number three, also on Adams and my list, Paul Heyman. Total of 67 points. Number two, Bobby Heenan. A total of 88 points. Okay. Number one, Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart, okay. 106 right. points. Wow. And that Damn. is whatculture.com. Steiner math. <laughs> kind of, sort of, yeah. But no uh, yeah. fractions, unfortunately. Thank God. <laughs> okay. Um, so my number two is what culture's number four, the great Captain Lou Albano. Okay. Yeah. I, I was thinking about him too, dude. He had a lot, a lot of tag team champions. He did. He had um, a total of 15 tag team championships. That's a shit ton. Um, yeah, so Lou Albano was a guy who started in the like early 60s as a wrestler. Was never very good. He was like just kind of, meh. Um, he did wrestle on the, oh shit. 
I think the match in Chicago with uh, O'Connor and Thez at Comiskey, Comiskey Park, okay. which at the time was the biggest gate in wrestling, and it was for like 30 years. Um, but nobody bought a ticket to see his ass. He was just there. <laughs> he was just there. Drunk fact. Right. Um, yeah, and he was just okay in the ring. And he actually said that in an interview on Tuesday Night Titans. He said, well, as a wrestler, I was just okay. I wasn't very good. But as a manager, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, he can stand there. I was like, that's hilarious. Like, he actually said I wasn't a very good wrestler. Um, he was such a character, though, dude. Like, remembering Lou Albano, like, at least from my, when I first got into wrestling, which is like 84, 85. Right. He was a total character, dude. And he was at the heart of the whole rock and wrestling connection. He was a top four guy in the company. Yeah, dude. At the, the time, right? The, when he turned face, the crowd loved him. He sold a shit ton of action figures. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so that's one of the things I have in my notes is he was, was he in that first series of LJN figures? Not in the first, uh, but he was in the first series of managers. Okay, the first series. Of, oh, because there was him, Blassie, and was it Jimmy Hart and Fuji? Oh, they did a ton. Yeah, and Fuji and Bobby Heenan, Johnny okay. Valiant, uh, Mean Gene. Yeah. Okay, but he was one of those guys, right? He was also on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Yes. He was a guy that sort of transcended wrestling. Like yep. you could watch, because you could watch Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling and not even be aware that there is wrestling. Yeah. And Captain Lou was a big part of that show. He was on MTV um, too. Exactly. So to back up, um, the first guy he managed was a guy called Oscar Crusher Verdu. Have you ever heard of him? Nope. Neither have I. And I would bet nobody listening to this show has ever heard of him. He managed him to a main event match at the Garden versus Bruno. It was the first sellout the Garden had in five years. It was like a time when the business was in a slump. Damn. Um, they had a $70,000 gate. Now, this is like 1967, 68, something around that time. It was Bruno's idea for him to become a manager. He went to Vince Sr. and said, hey, you know, he's never going to make you a lot of money as a wrestler, but the guy can talk some shit. He, the following month... Um, sold the garden out again for $85,000. So I guess they, they must have raised the price of tickets. Like Vince Sr. was like, shit, it's the first time in five years. Raise the price. Yeah, cash in. Yeah, and then um, I have a quote from him that I thought was really interesting. He said, I just remember the point I want to bring across, and then I just dabble, I just dabble before, during, and after. Somehow in the middle, I said two or three sentences that sold tickets. Mostly, I just tried to make people want to see me get my ass kicked. And along the way, hopefully the guy I was managing would catch a beating too. Yeah. So that was sort of his philosophy. Um, he managed Ivan Koloff when he beat Bruno for the world title. A riot broke out. He ran to a cab. The fans attacked the cab. And then he ran across the street to a bar. He brought the riot to the bar with him. And Vince Sr. got a bill for $27,000. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. He managed Don Morocco and um, Greg Valentine as when they were IC champions. And his greatest thing was managing tag team champions. He managed Crazy Luke Graham and Tarzan Tyler, who were the first ever tag team champions. Now listen to this. They won a tournament in New Orleans to become the first tag team champions. Does that kind of like ring a bell for you? Won a tournament in New Orleans? Hmm. Like the tournament in Rio de Janeiro that Pat Patterson? Yeah. Like, maybe it didn't fucking happen. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been reading the book about Roy Shire, and every damn time Roy Shire had to do something with that title, it was, oh, this guy won it in Miami. It was a lot of times with him in Miami or Hawaii. 
This is a thing that goes back decades. Like this is not a WWF thing or a Vince McMahon senior thing. Like this is a thing that went back a hundred years where guys would become champions in fictional tournaments. So hmm. this was just, I never, I don't think I ever looked up the tag team championship history, but I was like, Oh, they won it in new Orleans in a t- uh, tournament. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Um, he also managed, uh, Mikkel Cicluna and King Curtis Iokea, the Valiant brothers twice. Uh, the Blackjacks, the Executioners, the Yukon Lumberjacks, the Wild Simone Swice, the Moon Dogs, Fuji and Saito, the U.S. Express, the British Bulldogs, and the last time was the Head Shrinkers, who right. he had, who he had quote civilized by making them wear boots. <laughs> That's Ooh. right. We watched that one Survivor Series where the yeah. one kept messing with his boot. Exactly. And on top of all that, so like that's enough to be on this list. But on top of all that, he was a huge part, like you said earlier, of the rock and wrestling connection. He was the first guy who met Cindy Lauper on a plane, hooked her up with the company, and started the whole angle with her because he came out on TV claiming to have written all of her songs. (laughs) (laughs) So like that really got that whole thing started off. Like they had their... um, relationship with MTV based on Captain Lou establishing a relationship with Cindy Lauper, which was one of the biggest things, you know, if you're too young to have been around for that, it was fucking huge. Yeah, it brought it mainstream. Yeah. Um couple bonus points for him. So that's kind of wraps up his career. A couple bonus points. Um when he and Tony Altamore were the Sicilians, a tag team called the Sicilians, a mafia guy called Tony Accardo from the Chicago outfit met with them and requested that they stop saying the word mafia. <laughs> wow. Hmm. Because there was no such thing as a mafia. <laughs> um, in addition to that, he used to show up drunk to shows in the late seventies and early eighties all the fucking time. Tony Atlas said he showed up drunk one time and showed his dick to uh, Vince senior's wife. Oh, and he said he had no idea why he didn't get fired for that. I guess it was just because he was making a lot of money. He was making a shit ton of money. <laughs> There's no other reason. Yeah. yeah. And in one of his greatest moments, and you can look this up on YouTube, he did the most obvious blade job in the history of wrestling in a match against Jimmy Snuka. He was clearly shit-faced when the match started. If you go back and watch, so just type in um, uh, Lou Albano blade job or Lou Albano Jimmy Snuka. During the entrances, like he doesn't even, he looks like he doesn't even know where the fuck he is. You get about seven or eight minutes into the match, and he's clearly like walking around the ring, pull, reaching into his pocket, pulling out a blade, slicing his head open, slowly stuffing it back into his pocket, pulling his pants up. It's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It's a guy who just mess. like doesn't give a fuck. Damn. <laughs> it's fantastic. So that's my number two on my Mount Heaton. And I'll try to go to the next, I'll try to go through the next couple a little faster. Um, my number three, the great Sherry Martell. Okay. Also on that top you, 10. Good choice. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned her earlier on that top 10. Um, she started as a wrestler. She was WWE champion for, women's champion for 15 months. Um, they phased out the women's division around 1990. She was the only one that they kept. Oh, yeah, like the whole wow. division was gone, right? Do you remember ever seeing any of them ever again? No, I don't. Yeah, they were gone. I mean, um, what's her name? Uh, 
Like Leilani Kai and all those, huh? Jumping Bomb Leilani Angels. Leilani Kai, the Jumping Bomb Angels, they were all gone. Um, Wendy Richter was long, long gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They did her dirty. Yeah, previous to that, she had been kind of her first ringside role was playing Peggy Sue. Um, well, don't forget about the AWA, dude. Well, okay, the AWA. I'm sorry, I, I should I shouldn't have skipped that. Who did you say she managed there? Uh, the tag team champions, uh, Rose and Summers. There you go, D- Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Yep. So even before getting to WWE as a wrestler, she had managed uh, cha- uh, championship, a champion tag team. Yes. Yep. Um, she was Peggy Sue, who would just like irritate Honky's opponent. She wouldn't get super involved, but she would just be like a pest. Um. And then, but they kept her around. After they got rid of the women's division because she was fucking awesome. After five, she basically showed up and told Elizabeth that she's shit. And that's why Macho Man lost. Like she blamed <laughs> Elizabeth for Macho Man losing to Hogan. Yep. And Macho was like, you know what, Sherry? You're right. Yeah. And he kicked he kicked Liz's ass to the curb. Yep. Um, and they right away feuded with Hogan and Brutus. At SummerSlam, she managed Zeus and Macho Man. And after the match, she got her hair cut by Brutus, which was, and you'll see this throughout her career, Sherry taking one for the team. Always, always, always. always. Yep. Always. After Savage lost a retirement match of seven, she immediately got with DiBiase later that night by helping him attack Roddy Piper. Um, and then she was, I've mentioned this to you. I just found out about this maybe in the last year or two. Um, the WWE invaded Memphis in the early 90s, and we're definitely going to do an episode on this. She was part of that, part of WWE invading Memphis, um, like a big part. Then she managed HBK, and if there was one thing that made HBK's early character, you know, solo character, work, it was her because sure. she was like the sexy boy, the boy toy. He needed a chick, and he needed a hot chick. Yep. Sure. Um, and he also needed a chick who could kind of help him out in a match and sing his she, entrance song. Is sing his entrance song. She played that role fucking perfectly. Yep. Um, it was sort of like Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti now, right? Like he had the bitchy hot yeah. chick. Yep. Right? Good They're call, sort yeah. of doing the same thing. Um, then she was kind of gone after that. She showed up in WCW. She managed Flair for a bit while he was champion. So now she's got a world champion. Yep. Um, but her biggest thing she did in WCW was she managed Harlem Heat to seven tag team championships. Amazing. Seven titles, Amazing. dude. And she really, and Book, I've heard Booker T say this, she gave Harlem Heat legitimacy because they were sort of a newer tag team. Yeah. You know, and like she showed up and was like, yeah, I'm Sensational Sherry or Sherry Martell and I'm going to fucking take these guys to the top and then she did. It, it totally made him legitimate, dude. Yeah. And so the previous two managers, I sort of had like um, numbers I could back them up with. She, I can't necessarily back her up with numbers and my next pick sort of the same way. But I mean, she, she doesn't have a huge number of championships, but she was great. And the greatest part of her is, like I said, she would always take one for the team. She would take uh, ass whipping from Elizabeth. She bumped her fucking ass off for Sapphire at six. She gets smashed um, into Shawn Michaels' mirror. Smashed into Shawn Michaels' mirror, exactly. She got um, her haircut at SummerSlam, and she got stripped, her, her clothes stripped off um, in a cage match by the Warrior, which she also did in a cage match um, when WWF inv- invaded Memphis. She got her clothes ripped off by Lawler, and then she 
also got her clothes ripped off by Jimmy Hart um, in WCW. So she was always like, I'll embarrass myself. I'll go out there and make a fool of myself, whatever it takes to get my guy over. And the thing was like, the heel's the one who's supposed to get fucked over at the end. The heel never got fucked over at the end. She did. She took that, you know, the the shitty thing always happened to her. Not Sean never got fucked over at the end of the match. She did. Right. Um, right. And speaking of and, end, had the best SummerSlam outfit of all time. And I was Summer just going to say 92. that. SummerSlam outfit probably would be enough to get her on this list in the first place. <laughs> but she also, like, she was the fool in the match. You know what I mean? Like, yes. she made that. That was the number two match of the show. Like, if you ask anyone, SummerSlam 92, that's probably their second biggest memory of that match. And it's going to be because of Sherry. Yeah, as good as Sean and Rick Martel are, it was all revolving around her. And she, right. I mean, no hitting in the face, whatever. She made that mm -hmm. match. Right. If Sherry was on the show, the fans were going to go hap go home happy. Yep. But the heel wasn't going to look bad. She was going to look bad. Exactly. She would take the heat for him. Yep. Yeah. And that's why Sensational Sherry's awesome. I agree. Um, okay. To get to my last one, I have the great... The Hollywood fashion plate, Freddie Blassie. Awesome. And Freddie Blassie is kind of unique as a manager because most good managers were not necessarily successful wrestlers, but he was hugely successful as a wrestler. He had a really good 20-year run. He was a top guy in LA. Um, he was a big shot in New York, and he was huge in Japan. And that's what sort of, for me, set him apart from everyone else. Like most, kind of like in baseball or even hockey, like most coaches or managers aren't, like Tony La Russa was not a notable baseball player. Right. You know what I mean? That's Freddie Blassie, or that's the opposite of Freddie Blassie. Like Bobby Heenan wasn't known for his wrestling, nor was anyone. Freddie Blassie was, and then he transitioned into wrestling or managing. The reason he did was because at the time, California had a law, because this is back in the day when wrestling was um, regulated by the uh, State Athletic Commission. California had a law that they would not give you a wrestling license after you turned 55 years old. Oh. Hmm. So Freddie was forced into retirement. Um, so to get into who he managed, we got Nikolai Volkov from the Iron Sheik, Blackjack Mulligan, Peter Maivia, uh, Ray Stevens, Adrian Adonis, Jesse Ventura, Dick Murdoch, Sweet Hansen, Killer Khan, George the Animal, Professor Tanako, Fuji, Ivan Koloff, Torquemada, Masa Saito, Lou Albano, which was interesting, Victor Rivera, uh, Kamala, Hercules, and he managed Hogan when Hogan was a heel. That's right. He also managed Muhammad Ali in his boxer versus wrestler match in 76 against Antonio Noki. And he actually represented Ali publicly for media events during that. Oh. Um, yeah, he was kind of like the guy. He was like the the PR guy for him. Okay. Um, he didn't actually acquire a huge amount of gold. And that's why I'm saying like he's another one. He and Sherry are the two that I can't really quantify as far as championships go. Right. Well, Sherry, you kind of can. But yeah, Blassie's the exception. But I totally get why he's on your list, dude. Yeah, I mean, sure, you can, but I mean, it was seven tag champions. You know, I mean, she's not, you, I wouldn't compare her to Lou Albano or Heenan. Right. Um, but yeah, she is great because of her character. So is Blassie. Um, he was Sheik's champ, uh, manager when he beat Backland, which got the ball rolling for Hulkamania. So he was right in the middle of the birth of Hulkamania. That's right. 
Um, he managed Nikolai and the Sheik when they were tag team champions. And this guy would get in the ring and fire people the fuck up. Because <laughs> he would, dude. He had a good Nikolai mouthpiece could, on him. Right. Nikolai could come in and sing the national anthem and she could talk a little bit of shit, but Blassie was the guy who could really get the people fucking fired up. You right. Know, pissed off. Because he could talk shit better than anyone. Pencil neck geeks. Um, and exactly, pencil neck geeks. And that's kind of what I thought was the best thing about Blassie is he was never a guy who was afraid to get heat. He was like, fuck it. I'm going to get these people as pissed off as I possibly can because that's what I do. I'm a heel. And you don't have people like that anymore. You probably haven't. Jericho 10, 15 years ago was like that. You know, remember when he like got jumped in the parking lot and had to punch that chick? Heyman to an extent, but Heyman's always with someone that the people kind of like. But legit fucking heat where people are going to beat you the fuck up. When's the last time you saw a guy who like really went after that? Yeah, that's true. It's been it's been a long ass time, like yep. a long time. That's what Freddie Blassie was about. And that's what made Freddie Blassie so good. And I think the reason when he was a manager, I think the reason why he had that attitude was he wasn't afraid of anything because he's a guy who'd been through some shit. He was born during World War I, grew up during the Great Depression. World War II, he spent 42 months in the Pacific Theater. So he was a bad motherfucker before he even got into wrestling. When he was a wrestler, he was stabbed 21 times. <laughs> he had acid thrown on his back on the way to the ring, ran to the back, cleaned it off, and then wrestled. And yeah. he was blinded in one eye when someone threw a frozen hard-boiled egg at him. Oh, yeah, so to him, getting in the ring and having a riot fucking break out because he's talking shit with Sheik and Volkov was nothing. He didn't fucking care. You know what I mean? He was just like, he was like, I've been, th I've been through anything, you, anything you can fucking throw at me, I've been through it before. Yeah, what Fuck can you, you do to me? <laughs> yeah, he was not afraid to get fucking heat. And that's Freddie Blassie. And I have one honorable mention. My honorable mention is Abraham Washington. And he makes my list based on mm. one quote that he said. Titus O'Neil is like Kobe Bryant in the hotel room in Colorado. Unstoppable. Uh, wow. And he got fired for the funniest fucking uh, reason of all time. And therefore, he makes my honorable mention. That counts mention. as manager? He was Titus's uh, manager. Didn't he have his own show too? The Abraham, Abraham Washington, Washington show. show with Tony Abraham Atlas. Washington show. Yeah. Tony uh, Atlas. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Which that was good too. That was that was good. good too. It was weird how he was one of those big names that was brought in uh, for like the new brand of ECW, yet never set foot in a ring. He was always the talking segment, but then after mm -hmm. looking it up, he's like, he he has a wrestling background. He just never got to do it. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So that's our Mount Heenans. Or your Mount Heenan, my Mount Rico. Mount, Mount Rico's. Yeah. <laughs> Rico Mountain. Ch chiseled out of stone. <laughs> what did you all think of our uh, Mount Rushmore's, of our top managers? And uh, why are you laughing at mine and uh, praising uh, Scott and Eddie's? Uh, please let us know on the social media platforms, uh, on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, wrestling underscore drunk. And if you personally have a top manager 
uh, Mount Rushmore, please uh, share it to us and uh, uh, let us know. Love to hear your commentary and your reasoning behind it. And uh, yeah, just uh, also please continue to tell your family, friends, heels and faces about our show. Like, share, subscribe. Smash that uh, subscribe button, as uh, the kids say. Uh, we'd love to keep this uh, drunk wrestling entertainment going. On behalf of Eddie and Scott, I'm Adam reminding all of you to enjoy your buzz. Watch wrestling responsibly. Drink like nobody's watching. And we'll see you next time for another great episode. One, two, three. Rico? Dive. On the first night of Hanukkah, I received a mighty dreidel. On the second night.